As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. This is Talk of the Devils, the Athletics podcast dedicated to Manchester United. And here we are on a Sunday evening speaking about Manchester United picking up three points and closing the gap to the top of the Premier League table. Amongst other things, anyway, we've got a bit of the good, the bad and the ugly about this podcast. And that's just not me, Carl and Andy. I don't know who's who, by the way. I'll <laughs> let you decide that at home. But good evening, Carl. Good evening, Andy. How are we doing? Oh, God. You look a lot calmer now. Last time we recorded on the Sunday, you seemed quite annoyed while sipping your red wine yeah well i've still got a glass of red with me but it's uh, it's perhaps a little bit more celebratory this time to toast that fantastic 1-0 win over luton um before the the game carl i saw your tweet actually you asked for three points more than one goal scored a clean sheet and no additional injuries you can't have everything can you can't you? have everything two out of four ain't bad so clean sheet three points and then we'll wait and see with the other stuff yeah, um, I did this game last podcast, Andy, but how would you sum up your mood after that win? You can use more than one word. Yeah, apologies if I upset anyone with the word that I used last time. <laughs> uh, but better, it was a must-win and Manchester United won. Um, there was a clean sheet there. The other teams do actually lose matches as well. Oh, yeah. So when we have these doomsday scenarios when United lose matches, every other team has, has, has dropped points this season. I suppose we've got to be happy with the three points coming off that defeat in Copenhagen, coming on the fact off the fact that this team have struggled to win games this season when you'd think they would win. When you look at the league table, I was working out before, if United would have beaten Arsenal, which didn't look like happening, <laughs> or beaten the one one fives, which didn't look like happening either, or beaten Tottenham, United would be above Tottenham now in the league, same on points as Arsenal and a, a point behind them. I realise that's extremely fanciful because there were fair results in all of those matches, but United are averaging 1.75 
points per game. So if this carried on to the rest of the season, which we hope it won't, we hope there's going to be a big uptick, that would be 66 points. That was good enough to finish third in 1920. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what about... Oh, it's well down on last season. Oh, sorry. When you said 1920, I thought you were actually referring to the year that was like over 100 no, no, years no, no, ago. No. 2019 <laughs> yeah. 20. So sure. stats come yeah. from these really weird quirks. And I think Eric Tenarg has said several times in recent weeks, we expect our, our luck to improve our injuries um, not to be as severe. And it doesn't say it exactly, but you will see more of what you would expect from Manchester United. So all, all things being as he expects, we would expect a gradual improvement because even though there's been plenty of wins, that's another thing with Ten Hag. He wins or loses, not drawn a single game this season. No. So it's a, it's a win or a no. loss and that helped him get to those 30 wins in his first 50 Premier League games, which is a very impressive record. But we know what we're watching as well and what we're watching has not been very good this season. <laughs> No, that's true. Um, we're going to split the discussion on this podcast into the good and the bad, I think, um, because there just seems to be like broadly <laughs> contrasting takes on exactly um, what to make of Manchester United at the moment. That stat falls into it because he's won 30 of his first 50 games, which is he's the fastest Manchester United manager ever in the top flight to get to uh, 30 wins in his first 50 matches in the league. He's equal to Alex Ferguson's record of 30 wins in his first 50 Premier League wins. And when you look at some of the people who are above him, he's actually the sixth fastest of any manager in Premier League history. There's Mourinho, Conte, Ancelotti, Guardiola and Pellegrini above him who are all title winners. So, Carl, in terms of putting it into context, um, there's a real juxtaposition against... Uh, the start of the season, uh, a labouring win over Luton and that record. Yeah, you consider he probably would have reached that record a lot quicker if this season hadn't started with all these bizarre shenanigans, shall we say. Andy's brought... Yeah, he's nine wins behind Mourinho, to put it into context of the difference. Andy brought up, oh, if we'd bought, beaten Arsenal, oh, if we'd beaten Spurs. I think you look at that form table, it's the Palace game. That one really sticks out to me. I've just, yeah, you know... United should have beaten Palace. United had have enough about them that they should be beating Palace more times than not, but they didn't. Um, but then also you can say that Brentford game you could have undone. So this is this is a weird this is a weird team. I think we're approaching a juncture now where one or two things is going to happen. One, which is the one I really want to happen, players get back from injury. Ten Hag gets closer to his strongest side. And then the performances start matching the results and the results get more and more consistent. United build and build and build and go from being a Europa League middleweight to being a proper top five entity. Then there's option two, which is the players don't come back from injury enough. And then eventually the results start matching these disappointing performances and the team sags closer to, to sixth to eighth. Now, my you know four or five years covering Manchester United like this, what tends to happen to, pre to Premier League teams is option B happens, where you just don't build enough momentum, or by the time players come back from injury, things have already broken. But I'm hoping, fingers crossed, everything, that the international break gives an extra breather, a bit more time to put the magic sponge on, Ten Hag can get a couple more of those automatisms that he talks about, get the rhythms going, and then when you, you, you know, before that really, really quite scary run of games in December happens. There's a proper foundation in place so they don't start spinning out of control when Liverpool do something at Anfield. 
Andy, what do you make of United being the most informed team in the Premier League over the course of the last five matches? It brought a smile to my face, but I also know the football that I'm watching <laughs> when I'm at the stadium. I mean, I was watching aeroplanes at Fulham last weekend. It was that bad. <laughs> I, had, I had an app on my phone called Flight Radar or something, and the game was so poor. Craven Cottage is right under the, the flight yeah, path yeah. for Heathrow, and I'm going, right, that one's coming from the Caribbean. Result. <laughs> There's an Istanbul flying <laughs> low over there. <laughs> yeah, it's not a great advert for the game, that is it. So you can you can throw me with as many statistics as you want, and if it means Manchester United are pushing the top four, the top six, whatever, great. I'm all for it. I want Manchester United to win matches and to do as well as possible, like you both do. But I am not being convinced by what I've watched this season, and there are many reasons for that. And the main one is a huge injury list. Yeah, and maybe when the players do come back. And Luke Shaw comes back, and Casimiro comes back as and has the same impact as when he first joined. I mean, then fantastic. We're being optimistic and open for that. <laughs> Kyle, before you had any sort of like balance to this whatsoever, you remember that point of last season where we started to say, well, if this happens and that happens, then Manchester United might be thinking about the T word. Yep. Well, there was someone on Twitter doing <laughs> something very similar earlier. <laughs> Uh, when we were asking for questions for the podcast, and we'll get to your questions, we've got quite a few to, to weave in. But City play Liverpool, they're the Premier League's top two after the international break. Manchester United win at Goodison Park. The seven points off the top at the moment, that gap could close. Tottenham and Aston Villa are above United at the moment. They face each other after the international break as well. There's a face-off between Newcastle and Chelsea, who are below us at the moment. Brighton are below us now. I mean... You're just presenting um, they're options. Just stats. They're just yeah, facts. When when That's I saw all. United are quite literally the form team in the Premier League, I put it on my Instagram and I just said funny. Uh, I had quite a few United fans go, What do you mean by this? Do you mean funny as in ha ha funny? Or do you mean funny as in this is weird funny? I mean, it, both actually. It's both. It's both. <laughs> it's 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 hilarious that we spent hours and hours and hours in podcasts and in front of keyboards getting pestered by, you know, Andy will attest to this, getting phone calls from people all over the world to come on and start going, are oh, United in crisis? Is Eric Ten Hag in crisis? Only to United to end up being the form team. It's also very weird in that when you watch Manchester United, it can it's very hard to enjoy it. You know, it's, it's, it's hard to enjoy goals because you don't know if they're going to get chalked off by VAR. There are loads of sections when United are trying to do some form of football. And you, I'm, I'm, you know, Laurie will always attest that I'm a huffer and puffer in the pest box. I'm like a disappointed head teacher when they're trying to do stuff. Um, Did you just call it the pest box then? Because that is quite yeah, an apt yeah. uh, description for a, a journalist <laughs> gathering at Old Trafford. <laughs> We've been called that before. I, know. Um, <laughs> I think that's what Sir Alex Ferguson probably referred to it as. Probably. So, it is very weird. United are the form team. It's very. It's quite hilarious that United are the form team. I've always said. You know, I've, I've said before. You don't ever want to be the top six team that loses before the international break, because then you get the crisis bat on. Um, City somehow managed to avoid it, even though they lost back to back before the last international break. But I think this international break, you can properly start being a little bit more hopeful for things that happen. I am worried about that December fixture list, but we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. And yet, if Luton would have won, I think we'd be at the lowest point this season. Oh, absolutely. Oh, they've been the worst result of the season, <laughs> undoubtedly. And, and yeah. we all got the calls after Copenhagen. I saw Carl yep. on the telly on Saturday. 
I saw you on the telly as well, Ian, asking Victor Lindelof questions. Decent questions. Decent answers, Carl. Well done, boys. Don't get big time with me just because you've both been on the telly in the last couple of days. But the phones were ringing on Thursday. It was, hi, Andy, sorry to bother you. You're probably in Denmark. I'm so sorry for what's going on. Could you come on? And they wouldn't have happened had Manchester United won in Copenhagen. So it was so important to beat Luton. Luton, to their credit, I think they defended really well. I thought Tahith Chong, former Manchester United player, did well when he came on. Ted Mengi had a great game, didn't he? he Absolutely. Did. He did. Loved it that Nick Cox, who's in charge of the academy, seemed as happy that both them two products came back as Premier League players. I think that is really um, important and Luton took points off Liverpool a few days earlier, so they've definitely got something, and I'm full of admiration for what they've done. So that was a real potential tripwire, because they defend so well, Luton. So good on Big Vic for smashing that goal into the Stratford end goal and bringing those three points. Yeah, well-timed goal from Victor Lindelof. His first for nearly three years, the first time he'd ever scored a match-winning goal for United in any competition as well. Um, he seemed surprised as anyone to be doing that interview with me after the game, to be honest. He even said, thank you, sir, at the end. Wow. Which I don't know whether it was a mark of respect or if I'm just looking a bit older, maybe. <laughs> I think he's really polite, Ian. I know someone who, who started working with United last year and his first trip with the players was to a pre-season in Norway. And one player came up to him and went, hello, I'm Victor. Nice to meet you. <laughs> so I think he's a very polite man. Yeah. Anyway, when he called you, sir, what did you reply? Thank you. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I actually recorded it because I, I, I thought it, I, this was not to play on the pod, but now, uh, now we've mentioned it. Um, should I play it? Thank you, Victor. Thank you, sir. Thank you. <laughs> there you go. Thank He's you, nice, sir. It's quite nice, wasn't it? He's a nice chap. Yeah, he is a nice chap, and I was pleased for him as well. Because actually, Carl, he was quite a surprising name in that starting lineup. It seemed to deepen the speculation about Rafa Varane's position at Manchester United again. Comments in the press conference before the game probably gave us a clue in a way uh, when Ten Hag says that ideally he wouldn't pair Harry Maguire and Rafael Varane together. And the message once again is that, you know, Maguire's ahead of Varane and now it seems that Lindelof is as well, as well as Johnny Evans, as well as maybe Martinez and Shaw. I mean, he, he's really falling down the pecking order here, isn't he? So the, the news that Johnny Evans would be injured for three or four weeks was released late on Friday night and I believe early Saturday morning I tweeted I tweeted words to the effect of if Evans is out then we're either going to get Harry Maguire left centre back in Rafael Varane but considering what Tanaga said about how he doesn't like that partnership we're most likely going to see Victor Lindelof left centre back fitness permitting because Lindelof was suffering from illness earlier in the week and whatnot and lo and behold Victor Lindelof came in at left centre back I, I know we've had quite a few questions and I saw quite a bit of chat on social media about what exactly is going on so I, I think I did this last week, but I'll try again. Rafael Varane is only a right centre-back option in Eric Ten Hag's mind. He can only play on that right centre-back side. And at this point in time, Eric Ten Hag only wants to play Harry Maguire right centre-back either. He genuinely believes that despite Maguire's time for England and his time for, for Leicester City, he wants Maguire on the right because uh, it's uh, the angle and orientation of passing. And also he doesn't like the fact that when a right-footed centre-back is having to make a tackle on the left-hand side, they sometimes have to hook their leg across. And he believes that's a, it's a more dangerous way to, to make tackles and give away loads of fouls. So Maguire has to play on the right if Maguire's going to play. Rafael Varane has to play on the right if Rafael Varane's going to play. Left side now, the hierarchy is Lissandra Martinez is number one, Luke Shaw's number two, and Victor Lindelof is number three. Lindelof has a better weak foot than Maguire and Ten Hag pointed this out 
against in the away victory over Nottingham Forest last season. And at this point in time, Eric Ten Hag believes Harry Maguire is offering more on the ball or is in a better run of form than Rafael Varane. So Maguire gets the, started eight in a row now. So Maguire. Harry Maguire gets the right centre back role, and and that's that's as far as I can tell. I don't I don't I've heard nothing in terms of there being a dispute or there being a falling out in in Eric Ten Hag's mind. Left centre back option is going to be one of Martinez, Shaw, or Lindelof, and right centre back is just an option straight shoot out between Maguire and Rafael Varane. And at the moment, Maguire has it. Dot, 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 dot. I think, I think this is where we're getting a lot of speculation from fans and people on social media going, there must have been a falling out. That formulation makes sense to me based on everything Ten Hag said. The question that I can't answer is, when Ten Hag explained that to Rafa Varane, did that go down well? And I want to say yes, because Rafa Varane is a very mature, very emotionally intelligent centre-back. And I'm sure if all that stuff has been explained to me, he'll be like, okay, boss, I will deal with that. And I'm sure at a certain point in time, Maguire will, might fall, might taper off, and then I'll be straight back in just like I was last season. I think what we're hearing a lot now is a lot of people who like a little bit of drama, a little bit of needle, a little bit of the United have lost. I want to have a phone call and ask questions. Have they not had enough of that this season? No? I spent Manchester United. They're never going to have enough. I think no. I think there's this um, narrative that Rafa Varane's been hurt, found out this news and gone, hang on, I'm a four-time Champions League winner and a World Cup winner. How dare you drop me for Harry Maguire? Uh, and there must have been some sort of dispute. As far as I know, that there is no dispute. And Rafa Varane seems okay with what's going on. It's, it's one of those situations where I've seen clips on social media and people say, oh, Varane looks angry at Ten Hag. They must be having a massive dispute. And people have watched the same clip and gone, this is absolutely fine. His body language doesn't change to me, Varane. He, he always seems the same, really. I, I don't think there's much to be read into the way he's been coming on. I mean, him and Martial did not look like enthusiastic <laughs> substitutes coming on at the weekend, to be honest. But I think it's just them. I don't think it's anything about now, necessarily. I think United want more from Rafael Varane. They see him as a senior player, leadership material in a team where a lot of the leaders are not playing because of injury. Uh, I would have been stunned had he started at Fulham and we were asked for our predictive defenders, defence and teams ahead of the game and I didn't put him in the Manchester United team and everybody else did and I just think that Manchester United want more from him and other players have been in this situation and Harry Maguire, to his credit, has... Not fully turned round everything, but he's been one of Manchester United's best players. There are a lot of United fans writing him off completely. And he's waited for his chance and his chance has come. And I think he's really impressed his manager and he's, he's playing very well. What I also see is right now Ten Hag seems pretty set on having Scott McTominay and Christian Eriksen as his starting central midfield options, at least until Eriksen went off injured. Now, we now know McTominay... Ten Hag sees McTominay more as an attacking player, so McTominay's getting forward a lot more and it's not receiving the ball from the centre-backs as much as possible. So that means whoever's in your centre-back pairing needs to be able to pass very well into Eriksen or to be able to carry the ball into central midfield. Maguire's ball-carrying is better than Rafael Varane's ball-carrying. Varane doesn't really like dribbling with the ball uh, and when he does pass, it tends to be sideways. So that means if you want to have that central midfield of Eriksen and McTominay and have McTominay bomb forward then one of your guys in your back four needs to come be able to compensate with passing, which then probably you know gives an extra plus plus for Maguire and what he offers compared to Rafael Varane. 
I really don't think it's anything to do with personality or any argument. I think in that very Dutch formulation of X plus Y equals Z, or you know, you're trying to do formulations, my midfield hasn't got enough passing, so I need one of my centre backs to do proper passing. And also I don't want to kick it long, so on my goalkeeper so my goalkeeper needs someone in the defensive line to pass to. That creates a situation where Maguire is a better option than Rafael Varane. Whether or not you agree with that, you know, there's, there's the very good argument, well, Rafa Rand's a better defender. And if you want to keep clean sheets, you should just put him in there anyway. Fine. But I think that I genuinely think that's how Ten Hag is, is thinking when he's putting all these teams together. And that's why we've got this series of events. I think he wanted aggressive leaders who will fight for the badge, who are proactive. And he sees that more in some players than others when he's evaluating what his team should be. And it's led to Harry and Scott and Johnny Evans playing playing matches. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Well, I did say before we're going to split it up into the good and the bad. Um, one good point actually is getting players back, hopefully, but this will bleed into the bad. We've had a question from Ben saying, can you just briefly go through the main players and when they're back from injury, uh, the likes of Martinez and Luke Shaw? Well, Casemiro and Martinez, Eric Ten Hag has said, are out until Christmas, so it's going to be a while until we see them. Obviously, now we've got Eriksen and Hoyland to add to the equation, which we'll speak about in a moment. Luke Shaw, we were told November... It was hinted that maybe that would be November after the international break. So, Andy, do you think that means we've got a chance of seeing him against Everton in a couple of weeks' time? Probably going to be our last ever game at Goodison Park, that, isn't it? Remember him having a great game there a mm. couple of years ago. Would be a big, big fill-up if he came. I remember the impact Casemiro made when he came into the side at Everton last year. Totally changed the game, stunned Everton. Um, Luke Shaw has been really missed when he's been out. And the sooner he gets back in, uh, the better. And I know it was unfortunate that Aaron Wambasaka was ill, but I've been encouraged by his return to the team as well. I don't know whether Luke Shaw will play against Everton. I'd love it to happen. Yeah, we'll have to keep a close eye on that. We're also now going to have to keep a close eye on Rasmus Hoyland, who came off with a hamstring problem in the game against Luton. Christian Eriksen, who looked like he came off with a knee injury. Now, we've not heard anything at the moment, I don't think, as we record at just gone half eight on Sunday night, about either of these players pulling out of international duty. Carl, that will be the first clue as to how severe these problems are, won't it? Yep. So as as, as far as I understand it, United players will have Monday, Tuesday. Some United players will be in Monday, Tuesday at Carrington, and then you have the you know, grand 
dispersion or migration to, to various national teams and while certain players who aren't national teams will stay so you know Wambasaka isn't going anywhere as far as I know so it, you know, it, we're half waiting on what we find out Monday, Tuesday, then half waiting to see if the Danish FA say anything about Ericsson and Hoyland. Hamstring injuries can massively vary. I've seen players recover from a hamstring injury in three weeks. I've seen players be out for a hamstring injury for three months. So this Hoyland one's going to be a real fingers crossed question mark here. And obviously, Ten Hag has been very, very careful in how he uses Hoyland. So I'm going to read into very small things and try and make sense of what I think about how severe this problem could be. So Hoyland Signal, I watched all this play out. It's in Critch's article, actually, so he clearly noticed what I noticed as well. <laughs> Manchester United's bench, this was a group decision on Hoyland. Literally every, everyone seemed to be involved at one point or another. Assistant manager Mitchell van der Gaag, coach Eric Ramsey, several members of the medical staff, including Gary O'Driscoll, the new head of sports medicine, Charlie, the conditioning coach, was also involved as well. And it seemed to me like Hoyland was signalling to the bench that his hamstring was a problem and that United didn't want to take any risk whatsoever and was trying to get him off the pitch as quickly as they could. Now, when he came over to the bench, there was then a discussion about whether he was going to sit on the bench or whether he was going to go down the tunnel to receive treatment straight away. Now, I might be reading far too much into this, but the fact there was even a debate about whether he was going to stay on the bench or go down the tunnel suggested to me that it may not be as severe as it could have been. For instance, Christian Eriksen, there was no question about that. He went straight straight into the dressing room. So hopefully, and I am clutching at straws a little bit, but that's just a perspective of what I saw on the day about the way that that decision was made. And in fact, it was quite funny because, like I said before, Varane and Martial weren't exactly enthusiastically uh, changing to come on the pitch. <laughs> and at one point, Charlie Owen was sent from the back of the dugout where he sits alongside Van der Gaag and, and Ten Hag to go and speak to Martial, which I wasn't quite sure whether it was giving him instructions or telling him to get a move on with his warm-up because he really needed to come on. Uh, but yeah, that's definitely something to keep an eye on. I mean, again, Carl Hoyland missed one brilliant chance to open his Premier League account. We've had a question on it uh, from Stevie asking about what we make about the lack of service for Hoyland. Now, I think that has been an issue in games, undoubtedly, but in this game, he had two decent opportunities to score and actually the stat now stands at eight big chances missed in the Premier League obviously no goals so not great not great and I'm sure if you if we talk to him about it he'd say yeah I should have scored against Luton or at least I want him to I want him to have that sort of killer instinct that the great number nines have the good thing is that he is getting into those positions if you want to be talk about the good the bad thing is is he's missing I also think that's a that's a problem wholesale for, for all United's forwards I saw a lot of a lot of moments against Luton where you know there's a chance Garnacho had where last season he hits it first time and he took a touch and he allowed the defender to catch up with him and he sort of got swallowed up by the goalkeeper and the defender Marcus Rashford had a part you know Anthony slides in Marcus Rashford and Rashford takes he takes a touch to get out of his feet and then he shoots pretty dead on to the goalkeeper and you're thinking nah nah January February start of this year goal that's first time top bins no worries so all of the attackers right now are low in confidence and are hesitating where if they're in better form they don't need to take that second or third touch to put in I, you know, I actually think one of the best chances we had was McTominay's header because McTominay is the confident goal scorer at the moment isn't that funny um, 
I'm still confident Hoyland's going to be good in the Premier League. I think before the ball was kicked, I was saying he's going to get somewhere between 12 and 15 Premier League goals. I'm now thinking closer to 12, but he's going to hit. He's going to hit double digits. The thing is, he's in the positions to score. I mean, I'm talking there about big chances missed. He's on eight in the Premier League. Erling Haaland's on 13. Ollie Watkins is on 12. You know, these are players who have got good goal scoring records as well as missing lots of big chances. The data suggests that it will turn for him, Andy, but we don't want it to become even more of a block than it seems to be already, do no, we? I, I'm having him like Carl is. I think he's yeah. going to be an exceptionally good um, centre-forward. He's the best centre-forward at the club. But he started eight Premier League games and he came on at Arsenal for a ninth and he's not scored a goal yet. He's not made a single assist. So at some point, the stats are going to catch up with you. Now, should United be relying on a 20-year-old in the first place? That's another debate, isn't it? Yeah, when, exactly. When the, the main target for the manager was Harry Kane. It just was. Whatever the clubs say, Harry Kane was the man he wanted. And we're seeing how many goals he's scoring. I'm sure he would have scored several of those chances. I watched Robert Lewandowski um, play on Sunday night. These are world-class strikers who just score goals. They score two goals. And Hoyland in Europe, he's got uh, those Lewandowski, goals. What? Lewandowski went six games without scoring yeah. in La Liga just now. So... Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're a Bayern Munich fan right now, you're happy that you got Kane and you got Lower because Lower he wasn't beloved out there. Um, Kane was not going to happen because Levy was never going to sell to another Premier League club, and also Kane's wages would have been north of two hundred and fifty thousand pound a week, uh, and I think the wage on top of however hundred you have to offer to Spurs would have made that impossible. Hoyland is a good purchase, but I also think another problem was. Manchester United should have had another striker in there because, as we spoke before, Anthony Martial can't sprint. Now, for various reasons, Manchester United thought that a certain individual, they could get a certain individual in for next to no extra money and he would be the extra striker. That person is now not playing for Manchester United and it's unlikely he will ever play for Manchester United. But I, I, if we talk about players across Europe, I'm looking at going, why don't United go in for him? It's someone like Marcus Turem, who was available on a free, who Inter Milan snapped up from Germany. He's that sort. He's that player, that middleweight player who is a bit older than Hoyland, who can actually, you can also get your ten to fifteen goals in in a league season. He's the sort of person that a better organised Manchester United team would have snapped up. I'm not saying United were in for him. I'm not saying Manchester United ever even considered Thuram or even Thuram was even interested in coming to Manchester United, not least because he's never played in the Netherlands. So Ten Hag probably never heard of him. But you, you do get this. When you look at that squad, there's always that sense of there's 20 goals missing here because there should be an extra human being. Yeah, um, the defence is stepping up anyway, mm. or certainly the non-forward players for Manchester United. They've scored 12 of the 13 goals in the league so far this season. 92% of United's goals have been scored by non-forwards. That's higher than any other Premier League club, obviously. So we don't need to worry. We just need to stick Victor Lindelof, Harry Maguire, Rafael Varane, Diogo Delo, whoever else it's been who's contributed. <laughs> That's not even taking into account some of the assists as well, which they've... Um, They've been pretty hot on as well, it seems. Um, we've had a question from Kenneth Andy. He says he's a lifelong Manchester United supporter. He said his question is, why, why do two of our best players, Rashford and Bruno Fernandes, seem to be performing better at international level at the moment? Are the tactics right to get the best out of them? I think they're just happier playing for their countries and 
We've discussed why Manchester United are not doing well, why the mood is low, why the pressure builds. I think Bruno's trying. I'm told that as captain, he's one of the players who's really trying in the dressing room as well to, to bring things together, to lift the mood. Marcus, I don't know what's going on there. He's not had a, a decent season. How many has he scored, Marcus, so far this season? One. One. Right, so we're going back to Le we're going back to Lewandowski having a bad season. He scored eight goals, so he scored eight times as many as Marcus Rashford uh, has got. I think that Hoyland working hard, getting into good positions. I think him and Bruno need to get a connection because when Bruno first came in, um, he was such a creative force, and we're not seeing that. But I, I almost feel bad putting so much pressure on one one lad. And the fact that we're almost not even talking about Anthony Martial because we don't even think that he can be relied upon. I mean, Carl was quite right to mention um, Garnacho dragging that effort. He should have scored. Simple as that. Yeah. And then the other attacking options, you know, Jadon Sancho, when he was at Dortmund, had some really impressive figures. So for one reason or another, they've all been eliminated to the point that we're just relying on, on on Rasmus Hoyland. It's got to change. The, the the strikers not scoring is a major worry. And even when they didn't a couple of years ago, it was Bruno who stood up and got all of those goals. And goals have got to come from somewhere. All the wins have been by a single, a single goal. 1-0 against Luton was probably a very uh, predictable um, result. And... I heard a few people saying, if United score three or four here, and you you know what they're getting at, you know, mm. the team will relax and, okay, we can be normal again now. We can breathe. We can be more confident. But we've still not seen any evidence of that happening. Maybe that first half, that first half in Copenhagen was as good as we've seen Manchester United play. That felt like that could be a three or a four before mm. the red card, yeah? But even in Munich, the first 25 minutes... United were really good, but then I saw another stat yesterday. United have not scored in the first 15 minutes in any Premier League game. That's bizarre. Yeah. That, that's a lot of football, isn't it? Oh, I, don't, I don't know. Scott McTominay's goal would have counted in the eighth minute if it wasn't some subjective offsides. I'm joking. I th so, the ch simple answer, why do Bruno and Rashford play better for the international teams right now? Their international teams are better constructed. Okay? Marcus Rashford's played the majority of this season without an overlapping left-back. He's, he's had a lot of games with Victor Lindelof out there. Regulon's been in there a little bit. Fine. He, he definitely is unperforming. I think he, you know, he's, he's snatching at chances. He's taking an extra touch where he should be hitting that first time as well. Um, I think even Alan Shearer was like wading in at the weekend saying he doesn't look happy. He looks unhappy, I think was the, the, the quote. He's thinking about things. And when Rashford was at his best just after the World Cup last week, he wasn't. Throughout his United career, I think he's been at his best when he's not been thinking about things almost. Yeah. The instincts when, when relying on that. automatic. You yeah. think about that goal he got in the Europa League where the ball comes over the top and he hits it first time and he's, he scores that when his other foot is so swollen he can't afford to wear shoes. You think about the goal against, against Wolves last season where he just barrels through someone. I was like, oh, that's new. You don't normally barrel through guys. Even the Arsenal goal. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So... Even the Arsenal goal this season. So those are the moments where it's just automatic. And clearly, it's not automatic right now. He's thinking about, should I pass? Should I go? Should I do this? Should I do that? And normally, when you, what you want to do in those situations is really, really simplify it. And you either pass it or you shoot. And don't worry about the rest of it. I'm sure there's people at United 
talking him through that. The thing about Bruno Fernandes, similar thing. Portugal's just a better constructed team at the moment. They also have the benefit of playing Luxembourg like every three weeks. Does help that. At least it does help. Does help when you're playing. You know, they've, they've always. You know, that's a fun group. I do think Andy's bang on about this connection between Bruno Fernandes and Hoyden in that he's not quite. I asked you about this a couple of episodes ago. It's not quite. Mm. Considering how good Bruno is pinging balls forward, he doesn't seem to be connecting Hoyden the same way. Uh, here's, here's a fun behind the magician's curtain. When things were 2 0 up against Copenhagen, I emailed Opta and I said, Hi, looks like Hoyland's going to score loads of goals at FC Copenhagen. Can you get me some stats for how many chances Bruno's created for Hoyland this season? So I can see why he's scoring loads in the Champions League, but it's not working in the Premier, in the Premier League. Got all the stats in, and then obviously United lose, lost. So I was like, Well, they're 600 words that I have to shelve. However, however, here's a question. Um, Bruno Fernandes has created four... Ch- before, so, this is as accurate of before Copenhagen. Bruno Fernandes uh, had created four chances for Hoyland across all competitions all season, which, eh, not that much. There are two players. There are two players in, the, in all competitions where Bruno Fernandes had created seven chances apiece. Could you guess who those two individuals are? Marcus Rashford? Correct. And who's number two? Bruno to Harry Maguire? Nope. Am I close? Nope. Oh, Scott McTominay? Uh, he's created two chances for Scott McTominay. Again, accurate of Copenhagen. Uh, who else do you think? I'm thinking set pieces. Uh, yeah. Andy, you'll have a go at this. And if you get this, I'll be genuinely surprised. Which player, other than Marcus Rashford, has Bruno Fernandes created seven chances for? Oh, I know it. I know it. Go, go on. on. Casemiro. It's Casemiro. Oh, okay. Set pieces. Which is a great it's a great example of one, how just wonky Manchester United are. And two, Casemiro really having just an absurdly strange attacking season. I was just looking at Portugal's games then after you said that. You're absolutely right. They've played the following teams this season, this 2023. Liechtenstein, Luxembourg, Bosnia, Iceland, Slovakia, Luxembourg, Slovakia, Bosnia, and the next games against Liechtenstein. You couldn't hope for a better run of fixtures. There you go. We're talking international football. I spoke to a lad on Friday, Ashley Westwood from Manchester. He's just accepted the Afghanistan job. He went to Kabul last week. So, you know, he's going into it. He's a good manager. The only problem is he's got no players. And he's playing against Qatar in a World Cup qualifier in four days' time. His players were supposed to turn up four days ago. Wow. He's just started getting them coming in today. Fascinating. How do you get an offer from the Afghanistan FA for their role? How, how does that come well, about? Well, I asked him this. He he done really well in India. He won the league twice. And a couple of the players there were Afghans. Right. And, and they put his name forward. And um, he told me about three weeks and ago. And is he thankful for that? He told me three weeks ago. He said, I've been offered the Afghanistan job. What do you think? I said, well, what do you want me to think? He said, ask around. So I did do. I was like, yeah, go for it. There you go. But he's going to try and organise this team to play against, ironically, Carlos Queiroz, his Qatar team, who are ranked 61st in the world. I think Afghanistan are 154th. But I love talking to him on Friday. <laughs> I love the fact that this lad who spent most of his life in Manchester has got to pull these players in from around the world. Andy. 
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. Right, a few things to wrap up uh, in the last part of this podcast. First of all, Manchester United's women's team are unbeaten in the WSL, but they're second, four points behind Chelsea. It's been a strong start though, Andy, hasn't it? Yeah, it's been a decent start and some good results today. When this podcast started, Arsenal were getting beat against Leicester. But when I just checked a few minutes ago, Arsenal were winning. So the women's team are undefeated. I think that defeat to PSG was a big blow Yeah, at the time to go out of Europe um, so early. Chelsea looked like the the strongest team once again. I mean, United lost probably their two best players last season. So I've been pretty encouraged by the continued upwards trajectory of the women's team and I hope that continues this season. Yeah, while the men are taking a break, it's a huge week for the women's yeah. side because they've got the small matter of the Manchester derby at Old Trafford next weekend, Carl. I mean, they've beaten West Ham 5-0 today. It's the perfect way to warm up to what's going to be a huge occasion again. Absolutely. I'm definitely going to try my best to be there at Old Trafford. United, it's been an odd season in that they've won three, drawn three. So while the defence is still there, the problem is always you've got to be in the top three for that Champions League spot. One of those spots is going to be taken up by Chelsea because Chelsea are the best team in the land. I think Skinner and a lot of other people at United have probably looked at the news that MAs is leaving Chelsea at the end of the season going, hang on, this is... We might be on for at least not this season, but the seasons after this. You know, it, it's it's the equivalent of basically Pep. Well, you never know how this works out, Ivor. She wouldn't be the first manager to have issues with announcing that they're going to leave before they actually leave. Mm. I'm thinking of Sir Alex Ferguson here and others, obviously. Indeed. So this is a, this is a very good team, and they've got since losing Alicia, since losing Honor. I was really really worried that there would be nowhere near the Champions League race. But the pieces they've got in, JC, uh, Mallard as well, they were phenomenal against Everton. Just really free-flowing. And it really feels like things are beginning to click up front as well. Ella Toon didn't have a great start to the season, if I'll be you know, a little bit mean. But things are beginning to click there as well. So City's going to be a big challenge. But I think they're, they're peaking at just the right time. Uh, and United will be there or thereabouts come the end of the season. So... Absolutely. If you're the person who can't drive and can't necessarily make it to Lee Sports Village, uh, this opportunity to go watch him at Old Trafford, highly recommend. I believe could be a crowd north of 30,000. Yeah, which would be good, wouldn't it? And if they can get it up even higher in the next week or so, that would be um, even better. 
question here from Tom. Thank you, everyone, for all your questions. Devilspod at theathletic.com, as always, if you want to ask the lads anything. Um, we've tried our best to squeeze them in as we've gone along here. Some of them I've not asked, actually, because the conversations covered the topic. So I hope that satisfies people. But this is from Tom anyway. If you were Ten Hag, what would you work on as a priority during the international break? Andy? I think the first thing in the international break that we've not mentioned is Sir Bobby Charlton's funeral. I think they'll be very well represented at Manchester Cathedral uh, by Manchester United, and that will be a significant day in, in for the club. Um, from that, I think it's just trying to get, I think, more on the mental side than anything else. I think that mentally United have, have, have slumped. We can see that while watching the matches. So the Luton win will help. A 4-0 win would have helped even more. Maybe for players coming back, that will help even more. Just trying to accentuate any positives because if we've gone into the break having lost against Luton, you there will be, you know, is Tenard going to lose his job style articles. Wouldn't take that much to lift Manchester United if there was news on the takeover, which was perceived to be positive. That would all feed into it. But I think that Luton win, the looking at the league table, doesn't mean we're all hands at the station, if you know what I mean. Mm. We, we've had lower points in recent weeks. He's just got to try and, with his players, just, just maybe get a better connection to get them playing for him, get them doing the things that he wants them to do. I'm all, I'm always yelling about midfield, midfield combinations and whatnot. So I like to see more of Mason Mount. I think Mount was was quite good when he came on for Ericsson that second half. The way the ball went from A to B was just a little bit sharper. I'd also, hopefully, and I have no idea if it's going to happen, I'd like if Ten Hag just reduced the need for discipline and rules just a little bit during this international break. <laughs> Ten Hag's always talking about... Really, though, because it's an interesting point, that, because I think we were praising that last season. Mm-hmm. It's it's the uh, we said that we needed that last season. Well, you do, and, and it, but I also think it's about balance. You have got to find the Goldilocks zone, and there are times where Ten Hag goes on the talk about discipline and motivation and rules. And I'm got you know it's the middle of November. It's going to get dark at four p.m. And if Ten Hag is, I can imagine being, and this is me, who's not a professional athlete, who wasn't even a decent amateur athlete. I can imagine that sort of training session over an international break and Ten Hag's going, okay, you have to run, you have to do this. And it's four o'clock and it's getting dark and it's Manchester and it's getting rainy. And I just, I want to say to him in Dutch, Gaffer, please, just like take it down 5%. I don't think he will. I don't think he will. It's not in his nature. But I, I wouldn't mind, I, I, if there is a version to build on these automatisms, to build on this style of football that Ten Hag wants, that is more about the classroom than necessarily about running really, 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 really hard and doing passion and desire. That would appeal to me. I have no idea if that's going to happen. And also, I could be completely wrong here. So I'm holding my hands up and Ian's making a face. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Last but not least, we had so many questions about the um, investment situation with Ineos and Sir Jim Ratcliffe. Um, there's been various points of this process, which is nearly a year now since it began, where we thought there was going to be a breakthrough. It feels like it's the closest that we've been to that now. Andy Mitten, can you tell us anything that makes me think that we won't be talking about it nearly happening ever again on a podcast? 
going to seem like nearly a year till the next home game. We've got a month now at Old Trafford without home matches and then and then three in a week. With the takeover, you're quite right, the end of November um, is coming up to a year since that tr strategic review was announced. It's frustrated the hell out of Manchester United fans. Uh, I've asked, I've been told nothing imminent, so unlikely next week, uh, that's this week, although not impossible so make of that what you will what side's that from that well the only side the 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 Ineos side um that and that is Sir Jim Ratcliffe trying to do the deal the only deal he thinks he can do which he wants to be a pathway towards complete control of Manchester United but as we speak today no deal has been done I, I would expect it to happen equally there's been two other times when I've expected things to happen and they haven't happened. I, I, I think we're coming to a point where it, it it's going to happen. Okay. All right. Well, keep your eyes peeled to The Athletic, as always, for the very latest on that. Remember, if you're not a subscriber, you can sign up now for one ninety nine a month for the first 12 months. Just head to theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. We're going to take a little bit of a break uh, for the international football. We'll be back towards the end of next week. Unless something happens, and it's about a year ago since we started the uh, Trend of Emergency podcast with Cristiano Ronaldo and sales and whatever else happened uh, last November. So, yeah, watch out for that. Um, but for the moment, thank you, as always, for listening. Thank you for all your questions. Carl and Andy, thank you for answering them and for being with us as well. We'll see you on the next one. Take care. Bye-bye. Athletic.